Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the February 11th, 2020 edition of Ask a Leader. As we continue our focus on local candidates in the California March 3rd primary, it's right around the corner, folks, we shall first hear from Ashley Aitken about her challenging the incumbent in the 3rd District of the Orange County Board of Supervisors. This district includes portions of Anaheim and Irvine, Anaheim Hills, Orange, Tustin, North Tustin, Villa Park, Yorba Linda, and unincorporated areas, Silverado, Trabuco Canyons. She's a former federal prosecutor and part of the Leadership Council of the United to End Homelessness, OC. In the second segment, with just absolutely no notice, uh, the Brasenos kindly made herself available. She'll post us on Unite Here 11's latest actions and successes. Thursday will be an upcoming opportunity for you to all take your notes down outside John Wayne Airport. We'll be right back after a short station break. Welcome back to the show. My first guest is Ashley Aitken, candidate challenging the incumbent of the 3rd District of the Orange County Board of Supervisors. This race is nonpartisan. And I'm going to say a couple of times, this folks on the primary, it is the general election for the Board of Supervisors District 3. We'll open that all the way up in the interview. Ashley Aiken has for 20 years been practicing law as a federal prosecutor serving the United States Attorney in the Central District of California, She's prosecuting violent crimes, illegal firearms distribution, narcotics, child pornography, and fraud. Now in private practice, she is. She's taken pro bono cases to aid homeless veterans, victims of domestic violence, expand legal aid services for veterans and military families, and to protect the Orange County Fairgrounds. Well, her earliest day jobs were a staff to Congressman Richard Gephardt and high school teacher. Ashley currently serves on the leadership team of United Ways and Homelessness OC, was appointed by Governor Jerry Brown to serve on the Orange County Fair Board, where she eventually became chairwoman in 2015. She served as the president of the Orange County Bar Association, where she's established a veterans committee to increase pro bono legal support for veterans and their families, was chair of the Anaheim Community Services Board, and helped to secure funding for local nonprofit organizations that work to lift people out of poverty, prevent elder abuse. We've covered that many, many years ago, actually. Uh, with Laura Mosqueda. She offers job training and placement and provide additional education and arts resources to at-risk youth. She ran and lost in a kind of tight race for mayor of the city of Anaheim. She earned her bachelor's degree in secondary education from Boston College and her law degree from USC Gould School of Law. Ashley resides in Anaheim Hills. She joins me now in studio. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Ashley Aitken. Thank you very much, Claudia, for having me. That was quite an introduction. I, I think I'm going to vote for me. Oh, oh well, I, th- I, think, I think that would make a lot of <laughs> tight sense there. First, I want this to make this major point, as I alluded to in, your, in the introduction of the whole show. March 3rd, the general election for the third seat of the Orange County Board of Supervisors, 
only folks, only two candidates are running. So the outcome will vote in the person along with four other board members that manage got this down $6.8 billion budget. So Ashley, just give us a little civics lesson though. Why is it that this is not on the general election ballot in November where it would be a much more representative voting turnout? Yeah, well, the way that it's structured um, is, you know, and actually the seat in District 3 is different than some of the other Board of Supervisors because there are only two candidates. Um, the the way the county elections are set up, whoever gets 50% plus one vote is going to be the next supervisor with only two of us. I wasn't a math major in college, but with only two of us, that means on March 3rd, one of us is going to be getting 50% plus one vote. Um, that would be different, let's say, in the first district board of supervisors where there's six people on the ballot. It's very likely that not one person with six people on the ballot is going to garner 50% of the vote. So that will be going to November. But with just two of us on the ballot, it's going to be, uh, it's not a drill. It's going to be over March 3rd. So that's where folks, that's where people like me get all kind of tense about people uh, not getting, stepping up to the importance of primaries. And and California, as I always mention to everybody, it's the top two vote getters are the ones that advance to the general, regardless of party. So it's, it's anybody's listening, remember to tell 80 of your closest friends that, that this is required attendance, the primary on March 3rd. So let's talk. I mentioned the $6.8 billion budget. Let's talk about the money that goes into this budget. It's coming in from various sources, and some of it's not going out. And I want to find out what happens when it doesn't go out. But let's talk about where this money's coming from and what kinds of obligations the county has to use it. And what are they doing sitting on a pile of it? Yeah, so I when the, I think the first question that people often ask me is, you know, what does the Board of Supervisors do? Um, and I try to explain, you know, illustratively that it's a funnel system. You know, think of a of a of a funnel where you have all of our state and federal tax dollars that are coming through the county and going through the funnel, going through the Board of Supervisors to be distributed to all of the programs, the social programs that we have um, throughout the county. So when we have a pebble or a rock at the bottom of that funnel, we're not getting it the funds where they need to go. Um, And so I have been very passionate about fighting um, with the Um, fighting through the court systems, fighting um, as an advocate to make sure that we are getting all of these tax dollars to where they are supposed to be going. And there's so many things that the Board of Supervisors are in charge of. For instance, you have not just the Orange County Sheriff's Department. You have funding for our DAs and our public defenders. You have our county employees. You have CalOptima, which is our health care system for those that are on Medicaid um, through Obama's Affordable Care Act. We ha- you're in charge of OC parks. Um, any development that goes on in the open land, you mentioned earlier in the introduction, the airport, which is a very contentious issue right now. Um, so there is a lot of things that the county is in charge of, and we want to make sure that we have leadership there that really reflects our values. So you're in an interesting position having worked on getting those appropriated funds to move through the county government So now you're stepping into a possibility of administering those funds that you've seen sort of jam up in the in the funnel, as it were. 
So when the money isn't going anywhere, though, where is it like in where is it earning anything? What what where does the money sit? Because we know there's emergency housing and mental health funds that are, are and among others that you were talking about. Where does that what happens? That is it earning some interest somewhere, or is it staying with the the state and federal agencies that are passing it to the counties? No, the county has a lot of money at its disposal where it is then supposed to be spending it on these social service programs. Um, And we see one of the issues that I'm most closely tied to, uh, which is the the homeless issue. Um, We see the the backstop. We see what happens when the county is not spending the money. The county has the money at its disposal. It's earmarked for mental health. It's MHSA money. It's earmarked for housing, but they're not spending it. They're just what we would, you know, sitting on it. Um, And earning interest isn't a good excuse in my book to uh, actually get the money to where it's supposed to be going, which is people that are in need. Well, there's opportunity costs. When needs aren't met, then there's cascading effects of people not being able to be economically viable, they're not well, they're not, they're requiring more expensive services for not getting the uh, other basics or so. I mean, there's... It's- oh, absolutely. I mean, um, one of the groups that I'm involved with, um, that which is United Way, did a wonderful study in partnership with UCI, talking about the economic costs when we don't address some of the major social issues that are going on in our county. And they did this study um, which focused on ending homelessness. And it talked about how it is so much more expensive for us as taxpayers to ignore this issue of homelessness. When we have people that are not getting health care but are instead depending on the emergency room for primary care and, or not going and getting health care and waiting to the absolute last minute where it's so much more expensive to treat them. Um, the cost to our law enforcement agencies who are really putting them, they're getting put in the place of being social workers and mental health counselors when they were trained to be law enforcement officers. Um, when you look at the um, the, how your lifespan is dramatically shortened when you live on the streets and you are not properly housed. Um, and you know, and, the, and the, the data is out there, and UCI did an amazing job showing how it is so much more expensive for us taxpayers to not address this issue. Um, the, but I also think we need to talk about what are the morals of our community. Um, I'm going to get to that because I'm, I'm going to draw on some of your, your own background and how the, what Good Samaritans might, you know, show their other colors. But first, while we're talking about this fiscal aspect, so how do you respond then when we hear a very persistent refrain from those that, against whom you're running and others? They call themselves fiscal conservatives. But how, how does, do you address that when you hear that based on it's a false choice being made is to sit on the money, not use the money, say you're saving money, but you're not because you're pushing that cost into more expensive services for those in need. Yeah, I don't think it's fiscally conservative when every decision that you've made is costing the taxpayers more money. Or the alternate route is that you are pushing it on to cities that are the least capable of affording these things. Um, And I think we have a, a county 
board of supervisors that has been just absolutely absent in leadership in dealing with these issues. Um, you know, I I look at it as we need to do the right thing, not just for our community, but the right thing for those taxpayers, because we have already paid this money. The programs that we want to do, the programs that I want to put in place are not going to cost any money. They're going to use funds that have already been earmarked from Sacramento. Um, Orange County is a donor county, and we live in a donor state. And I want to be an advocate that, no, let's go to Sacramento. Let's, let's get resources back into the county. And when we are when we receive those resources, let's make sure that we're responsibly using them so that we can show that we are actually a partner um, with our cities, a partner with Sacramento in getting things done. Because we've seen not just the economic cost, but the human cost when our supervisors do nothing. So let's go down programmatically then about housing. And I've asked other office holders about the room in the inn that, you know, good Samaritans will look after one's fellow human beings. And we're, I'd like for you to take up how we're providing, how we're doing in the county uh, and the record of the incumbent that you are challenging. Uh, let's talk about the, not, the various housing stocks, emergency affordable housing and even market, just market rate housing. How does the county get involved in each of the city's fair share of emergency housing? Yeah, I mean, I think what there's there's so many different things that we're talking about when we talk about housing. Um, let's just start with affordable housing. We know that we have a housing shortage in Orange County. Our The way that we have built housing has not kept pace with the um, growth of our population. Um, but when you look at what projects are being approved and what type of housing is being developed, it's not housing for working families. It's not housing for people that are school teachers or police officers or firemen in Orange County. It is not housing for UCI students or for people trying to get their master's degree. We are building a lot of luxury condominiums. We're building a lot of large um, uh, homes that are not affordable for those that we are, know are living here and working here. So I really would like to make sure that on for the what the county can control, which is new developments on county land, that we're mandating that we have an affordable housing um, set aside so that we are actually addressing this issue. As far as emergency housing. And the share, uh, right. As far as emergency housing, um, we need to really look at how do we get people off the streets and into long-term housing. Um, I know you know that an organization that I'm very involved with, it's an organization called Wise Place, which is the only shelter for unaccompanied homeless women in Orange County, um, who listened to Judge Carter, um, responded to the call, and opened up an emergency shelter um, in our which we used to be a former YMCA gym, um, to take in women that were on the streets. Um, but that's not a long-term solution. Uh, what we try to do at Wise Place is transitional housing, which is not just putting people, warehousing people. We hear a lot from um, the Board of Supervisors. They're talking about uh, solutions to this issue that are antiquated, that have been proven not to be successful, um, and no leaders in in the um, housing industry that are trying to work on housing the homeless think that building large warehouse type shelters is a long term solution. Um, is it a it's a temporary solution? And we have seen. I'm a very proud um, Anaheimer, and in Anaheim we have about five shelters that that we have built, um, and we've definitely done our our fair share. But when we look at what is actually the long term cost, it's much more beneficial to work with these. Uh, 
um, to people to try to partner with United Way that is trying to end veteran homelessness and get people into apartments and find out what is that obstacle to getting people into apartments. Is it the deposit? Is it the first and last month's rent? Is it transportation? Is it jobs? We need to look at all of these issues and develop them holistically and with wraparound services, not just putting people in a warehouse on a cot and just hoping something's going to change. We know that that does not work. Other cities know it doesn't work. We need to start being innovative and thinking about new solutions and how we are going to house people and get people off the streets tomorrow. For those of you that have just joined us, my guest is Ashley Aitken. She's running for the seat of the 3rd District of the Orange County Board of Supervisors on the March 3rd primary. We're talking about housing. With your Jesuit background, and how could do you see your role as a leader to hold the county board of supervisors accountable, holding mayors accountable to everybody accepting their fair share of emergency housing? Because it's sort of a... It's like, I'm all for it, but it's got to be somewhere else. How do you take your your background, your ethos, and see through this, there's this NIMBY kind of reaction, not just from the leadership, but from the constituents. How can you break through all of that, Ashley Aitken? Yeah, I mean, I, I love that I am Jesuit trained, and it is a, an ethos that goes through to do the most good. Um, and one of the favorite things I always learned from my Jesuit priests was, you know, don't tell me you're a Catholic, show me you're a Catholic. Um, and go out there and make sure that every day you are trying to do something to help the sick, help the poor, help the elderly. I mean, when it comes to housing, I think you do not give up in the face of pushback. Um, absolutely, cities are afraid that have never taken on a project like this. Let's say some of our cities that are in South County, um, they have never had to deal with this issue in the way that Judge Carter and the county is asking them to deal with that. So I think you first start with empathy and try to understand where those cities are coming from. I also think you need to do a better job educating both the um, both the voters and, um, and the communities about what we're talking about. Uh, I am not in favor of going down into a small community and saying we are going to build a large shelter in your community. Um, because one, we know it does doesn't work. We know it's not a long-term solution, but let's partner with them and say, you know, what what kind of housing can we build and where can we build it that has the wraparound services that we know does work? We can have scatter site housing that is smaller, um, that is not, you know, a hundred people, you know, that, that is actually in areas where people won't even know that it's there. And we have, as a county, have to then take on the responsibility to make sure that we have the social workers. We we are funding programs if people need help with sobriety, if it's our veterans that are most in need on the street and we get them into a scatter, scattered site housing program, are we making sure that we have transportation for them to get to the VA to get the help that they need? You know, it needs to be a well thought out plan, not something that you just, I'm going to build a shelter here, open up the doors, pat myself on the back and say, look, I solved homelessness. That is not a plan for success. And one of the things I'm really... Uh, one of the reasons that I'm, I'm very um, passionate about this seat and taking on the incumbent is that he's been there for a year. And what has he done? What has he done? We know because of, of the statistics that last year in Orange County, we had over 200 people die on our streets. Wow. 200 people. And yet we have somebody in elected office that 
throws out solutions that are that are they don't make any sense. As I, mayor of Irvine saying that, oh, we should just build a shelter out in Silverado Canyon and move all of the homeless out there. I mean, that's just an asinine thing to say. There is no transportation. There's no permanent housing. There are no jobs. There's no county office out there with social workers that can provide these types of services, let alone it, let alone there's a community out there that was not brought in um, to this dialogue. And, and so when I, when I hear things like that, it's just very frustrating because you are, I think, discounting the human factor that these are real people. These are our neighbors. These are our veterans. These are the people that fought for us. And you can't just throw out a bunch of things on the wall and see what sticks. You need to sit down, roll up your sleeves, do the hard work, partner with communities, have open dialogue, and get things done. A couple things come to mind. So the if do cities that have now some kinds of demonstrated successes do they risk sort of being like the magnet for the housing i mean costa mesa's got some they've got some projects that are working so just just quickly is that and then the other thing that comes to mind is are there not around 4000 uh, now documented homeless people and so they're at risk of joining that that those that number of fatalities there's a lot of people at risk yeah i hadn't heard that it was that high i thought i mean but i know it's out in in the thousands of you know around 3,000, but it okay. could be, I mean, it well, changes that's every a, day. That correct? number kind of shakes my cage. No, yeah. yes, it, and, it, and it changes every day. And there are, like Anaheim, um, which I'm, you know, my hometown, as well as Santa Ana, Costa Mesa, Orange, there was a lot of cities that have started to step up um, and try to address the homeless that are living within their borders um, and that are in their cities. And I think it's a valid fear. I know that the last Board of Supervisors meeting, there was a lot of very upset Santa Ana residents. Yes. Um, about the opening All of the new Yale demographics shelter. that were showing up with that. Correct. Um, because they do feel that. They do feel that uh, we have done the right thing um, and we are being punished for it. Um, and what I do think we need to do is then sit down with, with the other other cities and look at the numbers. Look at the point in time studies. Look at how many people. There are going to be cities that, that have very, very small amounts of people that are from their city. Um, and, and then their, their requirement will be less. Do we look at what is the population, the percentage of the population, and then allocate you know, housing per, with, with your population percent, percentage. I mean, there's a lot of ways that we can sit down um, to do that. But I don't think that um, going forward, the cities are going to be punished too much longer because they're out of the federal lawsuit. My concern is when you have cities that are not doing anything, the homelessness is going to be worse in their areas because they are not going to be able to enforce their anti-camping ordinances for those that do not want to go into any type of shelter. And I do not want um, this population to just be kicked. It's like a can you're kicking down the street, moved from one spot to one spot because Santa Ana, they get to enforce their laws. Anaheim, they get to enforce their laws. Does that mean that this population then finds a safer zone in South County? I don't think that's fair. I think what we need to do is just come together as a county and as a community and figure out what works to actually get this done. Okay. I'm, there's a, a lot of other areas of policy, so I, I'm going to see if we can cover a few more. Um, now, I've gotten this press release that's rolling out of incumbent Don Wagner's office that he is joining Todd Spitzer uh, with an effort to clear a 30-year backlog of sexual assault kits. Do you want to weigh in on that? Well, I, I think that's a great idea. I don't know why it took 30 years. 
um, to actually get the funding for this from the county. But, you know, I think it's something that it's a positive direction. It's a move in the right direction. And we need to make sure that our law enforcement agencies have the funding they need so that this backlog doesn't get created again. I don't know how it got created in the first place. And there's. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things I think we need to, to look at in that area and in that about why we are not with the amount of money that we are um, allocating to our law enforcement agencies, why this work isn't being done in the first place. There's so, a lot of victims out there that have a lot of questions about why their cases haven't even started. And to that point, we're talking about generally law enforcement. I, I went from the specific going back to the general that the sheriff's office and the district attorney, uh, there's much discussion about whether um, I mean they've got a lot of credibility issues to deal with with um, witnesses and uh, what, what's the term I need to use for evidence that's being the uh, custodians of evidence or the, yeah the, that there's evidence that has not been provided it's been destroyed it's not been properly handled so now the district attorney is elected directly by the the general public the constituency but uh, you are an and the county board of supervisors position, you have some leadership to exert over what the DAs and the sheriff's offices, how they're doing business. So how do you want to uh, weigh in with how their uh, credibility needs to be resolved? Yeah, I mean, this is one of these things where you just turn when people say that they're fiscal conservatives and then you look at how they are not managing their budgets. They are not supervising departments. They are costing the taxpayers what's going to be millions and millions of dollars in lawsuits that are going to come out of this, let alone the cost of having this revolving door policy where we are arresting violent criminals. And because we are not correctly booking evidence, because we are we are um, taping private attorney-client conversations, these cases are going to be dismissed. And we've just seen the beginning of it. We saw the beginning in the decry case where they had to drop um, death penalty. They had to drop some of the, um, you know, some of their some of the, some of their options um, because of malfeasance. And, you know, one, one of the things I love about um, being on the Orange County Fair Board is that every summer we get to work with the sheriff's department okay. who we have you know over a million people that come to the Orange County Fair and the sheriff's department is our law enforcement agency and they do a wonderful job. Our rank and file sheriffs work so hard um, and they are trained and they do a fabulous job. But what happens is, is I think that, you know, you go in there and there's just a lack of training, whether it's either in the jails, whether it is in those that are supposed to be booking evidence um, about basic constitutional rights. So I would like to really work with the sheriff and work with the DA in how can we solve this issue so that everybody that is is a part of the chain of custody, everybody that is working in the jails, everybody that is an investigator or writing up reports that the DAs are then going to use to prosecute these cases is properly trained in what they can and cannot do. Because what we what we cannot have is people that are arrested with good evidence being let back out on our streets because it was mishandled either by the DA's office or by the sheriff's department. And it's not a fair reflection on the sheriff's department as a whole. Um, and also, really, when we have these kinds of issues, when the board is, they come to the board of supervisors and they're asking because they have budget overruns, because they have overtime um, and labor overruns, that they are just writing them blank checks without asking questions about where this money's going and why these overruns were occurring you were accrued in the first place. So is there any curiosity on the existing county board of supervisors about improving 
the management in law enforcement in the county? Because there was one particular session with the board of supervisors, and they said nothing. There, there was absolutely no comment in this in their session recently, within the last two or three weeks, that the voice of OC was covering that they they were mum on this whole topic. So, is there anybody exerting any leadership, or is this are we talking about a big law enforcement balloon payment due? I mean, I, I was very disappointed that nobody was asking any questions. I mean, I think one of the things I don't think the Board of Supervisors job is to go in there and tell the sheriff how to do his but job. Ask, though. But you do have a responsibility when it comes to allocating more money from the budget to the sheriff's department to ask why. Why are you coming back needing over $30 million in cost overruns um, that it's actually coming from the healthcare agency? Why are we mid-year not to budget? What is going on and how can we help you going forward so that doesn't happen again? Because it shouldn't be a pattern. Um, and, you know, they're, they all claim to be fiscal conservatives, but when it comes actually down to standing up for taxpayers and asking the hard questions and supervising where our taxpayers are going, they are silent. Not one question asked. Well, I wish we had more time, Ashley Aitken. I, um, what I can just draw down with this last question is how can people follow you and who's funding your campaign mainly? So I'm very excited in that my campaign is all suicide, my community support. I have my Girl Scout mom friends. I have the school mom friends in the parking lot that I'm uh, that I'm asking for help. Um, I have a tremendous amount of support from the legal community of which I have been a, a part of for the last 20 years. Um, and I am very, very proud that we are individually funded. Um, if anybody would like to learn more about our campaign, we are on um, Facebook at at Aiken for Supervisor, as well as our website, which is ashleyaiken.com. Um, and we look forward to getting everybody's vote March 3rd. And don't forget to go down ballot. All the way down ballot, folks. That's my it's my religion is that leave no box unchecked, folks. So I want to thank you, Ashley Aiken, very much for coming in studio today. Appreciate taking the time. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. Thank you. That was Ashley Aitken. She is a candidate for the 3rd District of the Orange County Board of Supervisors. And I'm arranging with incumbent Supervisor Don Wagner on uh, for an interview later this month. We'll be right back with uh, the Briseño, co-president of Unite Here, Local 11, a hotel and resort workers union, and chair of the Democratic Party of Orange County. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining us. That's Evelyn Glennie, and that track was a marimba dance. I hope you enjoyed that. My next guest is Ada Braseño, and she has been kind enough to uh, appear on the show with absolutely 
no time to prepare, but she's always ready. Let's just say that. She is co-president of Unite Here Local 11, a hotel and resort workers union and chair of the Democratic Party of Orange County. She's here to talk about, among other things, Unite Here Local 11's latest actions. Ada Braseño, at the age of six, left Nicaragua with her family, fleeing civil war in the 1980s. Some of you have heard this introduction before, but I want to give it to everybody now. Her family settled in Orange County. She worked in a hotel after high school at 18 where her concerns for justice registered on the leadership's radar. After holding many positions, Ada at the age of 26 was elected the first Latina president of Unite Here Local 681. Today, she serves, as I said, the co-president of that union. She was also elected vice president of the General Executive Board for the Unite Here International Union in 2015 featured on 2014 Orange County Register as one of the most influential people. And in January 2017, she was elected delegate to the 65th Assembly for the Democratic Party. Uh, Earlier was a founder and interim executive director, currently the board chair of the Orange County Communities Organized for Responsible Development, OCORD, which uh, I talk a lot about when I'm on my way to their main amazing citizenship fairs. So Ada's led a coalition of OCORD members, hotel and food service workers, and grassroots activists responsible for the city of Anaheim's shift to district council elections and has led with some of the minimum wage increases around. Now, when I last had Ada on the show, she was working toward her general ed degree at Cypress College. Post us on your latest, your education successes. Well, uh, I'm still going to work at it. I it took uh, I took a, a a little pause on it because I became the chair of the Democratic that, Party in that Orange might do County. It. Yeah. So I'm going to continue to work hard. Um, you know, when I find a moment yes. at some point uh, to go back and get and get my education. She comes to us today from Orange. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Ada Reseño. Thank you. It's nice to uh, it's nice to be again with you. Oh, it's good to have you on, really, this last-minute notice. So on December 18th, Unite Here Food Service Workers had a, a march outside of the John Wayne Terminal for several hours. Various community leaders joined the workers to march and to pray and to celebrate the service. Two passengers. Talk a bit, would you, Adabreseño, about what are the conditions under which these food service workers. What are the conditions? What are the demands for improving their lot? Yeah, thank you so much for, for giving us some time to talk. Talking about six Orange County workers that worked for host at, a, at the John Wayne Airport. Those are the workers that work for Starbucks and that serve all the food around the, restu- uh, the ra- restaurants in the John Wayne Airport, and those workers began their flight um, to negotiate their contract in January of 2018. So last fall, the company made its final offer, um, and that was to maintain the unaffordable health care that the workers have, and actually only offer 40 cents above the minimum wage or they're, you know, and nothing else. This is very tough. It's very difficult. As you know, the soaring 
prices of um, rents around Orange County um, is very difficult, and uh, workers are demanding uh, uh, affordable health care, and they're demanding better wages. And so we have staged protests in the past, um, as, as you mentioned, and we're, we're continuing to push. The workers are continuing to be brave and to stand uh, against this multimillion-dollar corporation to demand what, what should be coming to them. Workers across other airports, like LAX, make substantially more money with pension benefits and affordable health care. And the workers at John Wayne Airport, doing exactly the same work, make substantially less. And that we have to change that. And there is an opportunity, uh, which makes your appearance really timely, there's an opportunity for listeners to support this cause, as it were, on Thursday of this week, outside John Wayne Airport, uh, and you can tell us exactly where, on Thursday from noon sure. until 4, for people, I mean, I, I think it's super important, I mean, you could, folks, you could use your lunch break for this, head over there, and it and just learn from the workers what's going on, get out of your bubble, folks, and, and get get acquainted with them, get to know their stories. So, Ada, what, what, how is this going to work out, this act on mm-hmm. Thursday? So as you mentioned, on Thursday from 12 to 4, we're going to have a picket line at Terminals A and C at the departure level. So again, Terminal A and C at the departure level. You can park at Terminal A or C and help us demand fair wages, affordable health care, and a pension for 268 workers plus their families. Okay. So, and there's other ways that um, now Clue is involved in this. They're steering people to different kinds of uh, places to park and those kinds of logistics. And um, I, w- I want to offer for folks, uh, I'll put it in the podcast summary too, but Adam Overton is willing to have you reach him, A. Overton at cluejustice.org or his number is 661 373 for any kind of details or to confirm you're arriving or whatever your role is going to be in this. So uh, I, uh, the Unite Here local also, uh, I want you to bring us back to the Loyola Marymount University venue where last month's Democratic January 14th, the presidential debate, there was a solidarity with the candidates not to appear unless there was some resolution with the Loyola Marymount University Unite Here locals. So it was an extraordinary victory. So uh, this happened a few months back. And if you don't remember, the presidential candidates came to California and their meeting and their congregation was going to be, they were going to convene at LMU. And we had a, a labor dispute with the food service company that provides services for LMU. And Unfortunately, again, like like HMS host, they also were not wanting to bargain, you know, and give folks what they deserve. And one by one, presidential candidates, we called on and asked them to help us make sure that working families were heard. And their resolve was that they would not cross a picket line at the for the debate. Therefore. We had no presidential candidates that were going to attend the LMU event. 
So one by one, a matter of a few hours, they were all dropping, posting on Twitter, letting you know the general public know that they were going to be in solidarity with the workers and that they would not attend the debate, even if it meant not you know not being contemplated. So uh, it was an extraordinary victory to begin with, and what that led to the company coming to the table and us winning a 25% wage increase. Wow. An amazing, amazing increase. One of our workers was homeless, and uh, I'm hoping that this wage increase will have put a roof over her head. Well, um, you mentioned that... She th- was one of our... Spokesperson in the Orange County, uh, the Voice of OC. You had an editorial that you posted. Here, tell us, give us the Angela Fisher story. That's Angela Fisher. Thank you for bringing her up. Angela Fisher was homeless at that time. I, I have to get an update from her. Okay, but she she relayed to us that uh, she had no choice but to sleep in her car. Her renting a room became unaffordable. She had no choice. She had to choose between eating or paying her her rent. Therefore, she chose to live in her car, and she had a 24-hour fitness membership, and she would shower at 24 hours and then make sure that she went to work. That's the living condition that Angela Fisher had. And she stood up, and she spoke up for herself, and she demanded, you know, on public TV to the general public and asked for help, not only of, of the presidential candidate but also the general public. And um, after all that, when we speak with one voice, when we stand up to corporate greed, we win. And that was a success story just a few months back. We feel very proud of Angela and all of her colleagues for uh, being courageous and leading. Well, we were talking about Good Samaritans in the first segment with Board of Supervisor candidate Ashley Aitken. So it's sort of... um, it, it, it's a marvel to see where presidential candidates will leverage their, their leadership to show a Good Samaritan feature there and support a cause where there is an, a, I don't, a, a very diminished value for, for workers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my guess for those of you who just joined us here is... Ada Briseño, she's co-president of Unite Here, Local 11, a hotel and resort workers union, and she's also the chair of the Orange County Democratic Party. And we're talking about what Unite Here is doing, we'll say locally here, as well as great gains made at the Loyola Marymount University. So are there um, other actions, and we've talked about the one on Thursday outside John Wayne Airport, other actions you want to post listeners on, Ada? Well, I want to follow, and I I can get more information to you, but uh, to keep on the same theme of airport workers, tomorrow uh, we are starting a three-day fast uh, at LAX with workers around folks that make the food for the airline, airline catering workers. Is this the HMS host executive folks still? It's not. It's the workers that prepare the food for the airlines. And yes, and so we're going to have a three-day fast, which I can send you more information on. Maybe you can post for your listeners. I can put on the podcast summary, yes. Yeah, but, uh, but we are starting that, and I can send you the details of that. 
but it'll be uh, something for you to follow. Okay, that is helpful. Uh, we'll, we'll I will th- be fast. I will begin the fast tomorrow, um, and I'm fasting for one day for the workers. Oh, my goodness. Wow. No wonder you're putting your your college education on a side you can't so just momentarily that's the three that's the three days starting tomorrow you said so it'll be tomorrow wednesday thursday friday yes workers and community leaders and uh clergy are going to be fasting to make sure that we raise what's happening in that industry where it's a very uh, you know very difficult industry very low paid very difficult work they actually are in warehouses or like warehouses around the airport where they're preparing and uh, going into refrigerators and freezers, you know, preparing the food for the airlines. So, Ala, where is this going to be? Where, where physically will this be occurring at the LAX? At the LAX airport. I can't remember specifically. Oh, okay. Okay. That's what you're saying. All right. Yeah. I don't want to miss a chance to give people an idea. So it's going to tax some goodwill, I think, on everybody's part. That's already a bad traffic scene. So um, I hope that maybe that could be, there might be a silver lining and bad traffic gives you more eyeballs on what you're doing there, possibly. Indeed. <laughs> well, it, now... It, it, the, the idea is, you know, not to delay any traffic, but it is to um, to take a stand on the issues that are important. Well, now let's let you put on your Democratic committee hat and talk about voting. It started started this week, and the registration, you kind of broke some records behind the orange curtain. How's that going, and how heavy a lift was that? How expensive, uh, as resources go, human and financial? Well, look, I'm very, very excited because in August, so around six months ago, we overtook the Republican registration in Orange County. That's incredible. But we are over to almost over 21,000 voter registrations in the lead. And so it's really exciting. You know, what the motor voter changes that have taken place have been incredible, uh, as well as all the ground, um, you know, the grassroots activism, of you know, groups like Field Team 6, you know, groups like Accord and immigrant groups that have been naturalizing and expanding uh, the electorate, you know, registering our clubs who have done a great job in, in, in different parts of Orange County. It's been a labor of love, and it's one voter registration at a time. So, um, you know, uh, it's, been, it's been quite amazing. The, the results... Um, there's also a lot of folks right now that are, um, you know, changing their registration um, in time for the vote. And so it's, it's definitely great. And when I, you know, speak to the motor voter, it's the changes that Alex Padilla, our Secretary of State, um, has implemented. So we're very excited about that. It's bringing a lot of energy and much-needed enthusiasm so we can continue our transformation in Orange County. People well, have their ballots in their homes as we speak. Yep, I've there got is mine. nothing more important that you can do to save democracy than to vote today. You don't have to wait until the poll, you know, until the voting center is open. You can take your ballot today, fill it in, and mail it. No postage required. Just send it in. Don't wait. 
let's do it as soon as possible um, and entice others to use their voice, to use the most precious thing we have as Americans, which is our voice through our vote. Let's make the last question, Ala Reseño, that you were alluding to cha people changing their registration. Let's break that down. I think you're referring to the no party preference registered voters. You just walk them very quickly through that. So cause I don't think we can remind people enough about how that's going to work in this early primary we're having. So if you're a no party preference voter, you uh, have to request your ballot, uh, a Democratic ballot or change over to a Democratic registration in order for you to vote for president. And if you want to receive a Democratic ballot, all you have to do is go to the voter registrar's office uh, website and either request it if you're no party preference or move over to be a Democrat. You can get your ballot. It takes two minutes. I literally just did it for my husband. Um, ah. It takes two minutes to register and you'll get your ballot within the next few days. So please do it today. Do not delay. If you're no party preference, move over to be a Democrat or request a Democratic ballot. To do it today, let's get it out of the way so we can entice others to vote. Well, Ada Braseño, I really am so grateful for you making the time here with no notice at all to be on today's Ask a Leader show. My pleasure. I'm always excited to talk to you. And Claudia, thank you for giving us a voice. Thank you for allowing um, hotel workers, I'm a former hotel worker, to come on and speak about the issues that are important to general working families and for, you know, standing and allowing us to speak about our democratic values. Thank you. My guest was Ada Braseño co-president of Unite Here Local and 11, and chair of the Democratic Party of Orange County. Good luck at your rally Thursday. Good luck at the Fast Tomorrow LAX. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's my wrap. Next week, I'm going to have on more candidates running for positions on the Orange County Board of Education. Becky Gomez, incumbent running in Area 1, and Paulette Chafee running in Area 4. Unfortunately, we will not be hearing from incumbent Tim Shaw running in Area 4. He's declined to be interviewed. Dave Min will schedule later this month, and I mentioned I'm, going to wor I'm still working on Don Wagner. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you.